This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, our guest is Jeff Link, who is a investment advisor representative at Guardian Wealth Advisors, LLC, and he is the founder of the Blue Line Investing Process. Welcome, Jeff. Uh, welcome. How are you? Good. So, Jeff, tell us what, what made you get into uh, the, the finance uh, industry? It, it was actually a series of fortunate events. I actually was wrapping up college and I wanted to go and get a secondary education, but I didn't know what I wanted it to be. And so at the time I thought I wanted to pursue the, the legal field. Uh, fortunately for me, I was a terrible standardized test taker. So I never did well on the, the LSATs. Uh, I did terrible on the SATs, things of that nature. Uh, and that closed some doors, but fortunately that created other ones to open. And that's where I've been ever since. So, you know, you started out, um, you didn't start out right away being the investment advisor and selling products and stuff. What did you do before you got into that? Yeah, so I actually answered a uh, advertisement for actually uh, as an investment consulting analyst at Smith Barney. And so the first, the first two years of my career, that's what I did. And my main role was to analyze money managers uh, back then, that was the new thing. Instead of mutual funds, it was professional money managers. And so my, my role was to go ahead and analyze the money managers and then advise the advisors uh, what they should recommend to their clients for solving certain needs and certain risk tolerances. And so I, I did that for two years. And, and, and after the first year, I was already kind of bored with it because uh, I could do all of my work that it would take, you know, normally it would take somebody a whole week. I was doing it in a day. And then I was trying to find things to do to occupy my time. So I, I was ready to do something different. So you really kind of got it, did this, you know, backwards of, of a way of a, lo of a lot of advisors. You're, you got more into the technical side before you got into the sales side of things. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, I've always been one of those people that I, I want to peel that onion back and I want to peel it back to the core. Uh, so, you know, I was always, I've always been skeptical of many things to begin with and, um, I'll, I'll sometimes beat up on our profession, but when I do, I'm actually including myself because when I first became an advisor, I did everything the way the industry taught me to. And for the most part, uh, the industry teaches you how to sell financial products. It doesn't teach you, you know, how to understand trends in the financial markets, how to manage risk, how to build a portfolio. Uh, it, it, there's, there's ways to learn that while you're in the profession, but it's not where you necessarily get, get started from. Uh, and I think that that's one of the downsides today is that there's a lot of people that can sell a financial product, um, but at the end of the day, they don't really understand what makes the markets rise or fall. Okay. So, um, you know, you've recently written a book, uh, Protecting the Pig, How the Stock Market Trends Reveal 
the way to grow and preserve your well. Uh, can you tell us some about your book? Yeah, so um, to just back up for a second, when I first became a licensed professional um, as an advisor, it was in late, it's actually in November of 1997. And so I actually started building my clientele for a couple of years, and then we went through the 2000 to 2003 downturn. Mm -hmm. And so then I spent the next four or five years, you know, continuing to build my, my clientele and adding to my practice. And then we had the 2007 to 2009 downturn. And it was at that point that a light bulb went off in my head and my thought process was, this is ridiculous. Uh, if this is what we have to go through and we don't understand how to navigate markets when they're going through this, why would anybody invest in the stock market? I mean, why not just go to the real estate market? Why not go and just run a business? Why not do something different? Uh, so ultimately for me, I just decided at that time, there were some other circumstances that happened as well. But at that time, I decided it was either time for me to leave the industry or learn what I didn't know. And so that's what started to be on the, the track that I'm on. I'm, I'm continuing now. Uh, I had to relearn everything. And I had to realize that there was a lot of information that you have to pour through and, and, and digest. Uh, in order to go ahead and try to do your best to see those big problems coming in advance rather than reading about them in the paper after the fact. Is that, so that's what encouraged you to write this book? Correct. So, so I just remember after the 2000 downturn, you know, the media would say, oh, nobody could have seen this coming. And in 2008, the media said again, oh, nobody could see this coming. And, and at the time, kind of going back to what I just mentioned, um, there were people that saw it coming. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't. But there were people that I was had just started following that were actually shorting the market and making money as stock markets went down. There were people that were, were selling their stock investments and building up cash. And they were avoiding the major losses. And so for me, you know, I kind of thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and learn what I need to learn. And over the years, as I learned what I learned, and as I studied over 95 years of stock market history, I came to certain conclusions and I decided, you know what, I'm going to publish this book because I want to prove to anybody who has eyes to see that stock markets are not really as random as they believe or they may be led to believe. And so I don't want anyone to be able to say in the future, oh, nobody could see this coming. There's always a different reason why an event causes the stock market to go down. But at the same time, investor behavior has never changed. I don't think it ever will. So ultimately, if there are warning signs or things we can look for, uh, I wanna know what they are. And I wanna be able to look for them proactively to try to go ahead and make sure that people can see that, yeah, there, there's actually warning signs here if we know what to look for. Of course, it doesn't guarantee that people won't lose money, but or that right. it's not a crystal ball. Not. But at the end of the day, it's something that at least they can be proactive to try to you know, minimize their, their financial losses. Right. So I, I think lots of times, you know, a, a great analogy with that is if you know you're going to go on a on a trip in your car. You're going to make sure that the car is serviced before you, you know, before you get out and 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 start going. In this, has it changed since you've written the book? Has it changed your perspective on uh, things? You know, when when clients are coming in to see you, is it changing your perspective on on these clients coming in and you know the questions that they're asking you versus not asking you? I specialize in what I do, so I'm probably a little bit more unique than maybe other professionals that are out there. So when I'm working with somebody or, or talking to somebody new, you know, the first thing I want to understand is what they're trying to accomplish. And, and is it going to take multiple different people or is it just a, a, something that I can do myself that, that I'm the solution? I'm one of the potential solutions. But ultimately, I think people need to, they need to ask themselves 
three important questions. There's, there's three important questions I think that every investor needs to ask themselves, especially right now. The first question is, who are they working with? What category of investment professional are they working with? The second question is, what investment strategy are they using for them? And the third question needs to be, what is their risk management process? And so ultimately, I don't see a lot of people even understanding the difference between any of those three. Uh, they'll go and they'll meet with different investment professionals. They might meet with five of them, and they don't, may not realize they're meeting with all the same type of person, and there's really no diversity, or it's really not the person that's going to solve their problem for them. So, you know, in, in reading through your book, um, some of the excerpts that, that I read, um, you talk about how lots of times, you know, depending on your age, it really depends on what the financial advisor will say to you. And you had an example um, about three people that, that went into a financial advisor when they were all 45. Can you, you know, elaborate on that? Yeah, so, and this goes back to picking on the industry and I'll, I'll pick on myself. So in the early years of my career, when I was meeting with a new potential client, the, the thing we're trying to solve for is what rate of return do we need to earn this client over their, the remainder of their investing lifetime? in order for them to realistically achieve their goal. And so what happens is, is typically people will be more aggressively invested, you know, as they're, as they're saving their money in their savings phase of life. And then they'll become more conservative in their latter spending phase of life. And so what I came to the conclusion of was, okay, well, let's allocate your money accordingly. And as you become older, we will move money from the stock market over into the bond market to become more conservative. Uh, that's just kind of the, the way that a lot of, a lot of people will do it. And when you really study stock market trends, uh, for anyone who does, as I have, what you realize is in some cases, you, that can be a very big disservice to your clients. Because if you're in the middle of, you know, of course, nobody knows, you know, at the time that you're in, you know, is this thing going to come to an end? If it's a rising trend or if it's a declining trend, when's it going to end? But there are signs to look for. So let's just say that somebody's in their 50s, they have the, the most, well, in my book, it, it was three people that were 45 years old. You know, as they're, as they're continuing to age, should they go ahead and get conservative with their money in any way, shape, or form? Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, as they're, if they're hitting 845 at different points in time and the trend is very advantageous, then one 45-year-old might want to have all their money remaining fully invested in the stock markets. Um, you know, another 45-year-old who meets with that same advisor years later when the trend has topped and is turning down might want to have very little money in the stock market, even though they may be 50 years old. And still have 15 years or longer to till they get to retirement. Um, and then somebody else who's 45, we just went through a big downturn for a couple of years, like 2000 to 2002, probably does not want to get conservative at that point in time. If anything, they should just stay the course. And I, what I find is that if we focus on the trend, which is the universal constant, in my opinion, it's the universal constant for all investors, we can make better decisions, I believe, because we're looking at what the trend is, which should set our investment expectations rather than basically saying, well, well, how old am I right now and what should I do? As if the stock market should be this anomaly that we just ignore, um, let's make it work for us. Let's, let's be aggressive when the market suggests we should be rewarded and let's go ahead and be more conservative when it's turning down or has turned down and just make sure that we're not gonna go ahead and give back all of our gains. That makes sense. I mean, and, and, and lots of times, but you know, a lot of people will say, well, how are you able to tell what these trends are? How are you able to know this ahead of time? I would say um, study the stock markets for 10 years and make sure that you look at it from different periods of time, learn technical analysis, 
uh, become a complete student of your profession and more people can do it. There are plenty out there right now um, that, that are doing it. I think the reality is that it's a, it's, a, it's a specialty. And so when you work with somebody, if you're, gonna, if you're going through a divorce, you're not gonna go probably hire a generalist attorney. You're gonna find a, an attorney who specializes in, in divorce law. Uh, I think ultimately what people need to do, and that's why I wrote in the book, you know, one of the questions is people need to ask themselves who they're working with. That's the first question. If they're already working with somebody or they're gonna hire somebody, who are they going to hire? Um, so ultimately, that's what you have to think about is there are people, as I write in the book, and I, I hope I'm answering this question directly, you know, there are people that I categorize as either employees, uh, brokers, planners, or fee-only advisors. And ultimately, there's a difference between how all of those people approach their profession. And so I think when investors uh, realize that there are specialists within some of those categories and there are generalists in those categories, uh, people who are specialists are going to know more than the people who are the generalists, in my opinion. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see um, clients making before they come and start working for, with you? What I find from people who have been working with other advisors is, or even if they haven't been, investors don't understand, in my opinion, that there's a big difference between wealth management and risk management. That's one of the biggest mistakes that they're making. Uh, when people are leaving one advisor because they're unhappy to go to another or they've been doing it for a while on their own and now they want to, they don't trust themselves, they want to find somebody else. I believe that they presume that by going and hiring an investment professional, they're getting the package deal. And that's just not the case in, in some of the cases, in, in many of the cases, in my opinion. Uh, wealth management is more of a matter of determining what needs to be invested and how it needs to be invested with your money that on average, you're trying to get from point A to point B on your journey. Risk management is very different. Risk management is saying, okay, I may decide or, or my client may, I may advise my client, you need to put a certain amount of money in the stock market to get your goals. A certain amount of money is gonna be in something more stable and safe like bonds, just for an easy analogy. But what risk management does is it doesn't say, okay, well, we've, we've, we've limited your risk because we haven't put all of your money in the market. There has still been a conscious decision to put some amount of money in the stock market. And in my opinion, the, the solution for risk management is not, well, we've limited how much is in the market. The question should be, how do we recognize when that piece of the bucket should be altered or modified? When should we actually trim back some of that stock exposure rather than leaving it all fully invested which is the way that a lot of professionals will, will do it. Uh, they'll separate the money between stocks and bonds, and then they'll just leave the money in the stock market fully invested forever, uh, maybe making a couple you know, allocation changes over time. But that's not how you manage risk because you're basically just putting that money and exposing it to the market, regardless of whether the trend is rising or declining. So ultimately, I think that there has to be a, a there should be a better decision-making process or a risk management process to try to recognize when should we uh, be willing to take that risk and when should we maybe take our foot off the gas, uh, regardless of where they are in their in their investment time horizon. In this discussions that we're having, we talked about um, you know the the client talking with the uh, advisor throughout this time. How often do you typically meet with uh, with your clients? What I like to do is I have two different kinds of programs. One is what I call my asset management program, and one is called my Blue Horizons consulting program. Um, my 
clients, regardless of which program they're in, are all going to get the same in, certain information that's at their fingertips. So they can review their account statements and information any day that they want. Uh, they're going to receive quarterly independent performance monitoring reports for how they're performing. They're going to receive my monthly blog that I write um, so they can be aware of what I'm evaluating the primary trend to be. Um, so in my opinion, communication with your clients can come in many different forms. Uh, and, and that's a way that I make sure I communicate with everyone at least every month um, so, because they're receiving something that I'm personally writing and I'm putting together. The only things I send out are things that I've written. When it comes to my Blue Horizons consulting clients, uh, those are a little bit different. And those clients I'm, I'm talking to or meeting with every quarter. And the main reason for that is that I have a strategy session of certain talking points that I want to make sure we cover. And they're actually specific talking points per quarter. Uh, so each quarter, there's a different item or a different theme or a different topic that I want to make sure we're addressing so that over the course of the year, we repeat it every year. Sometimes the information is a little bit different, but the main bulk of what we're talking about from one quarter to another is surrounding some specific strategy um, component. It's a strategy session. Going, going back to the, to the risk, is that based off of the amount of money that I have in the market? Is it based off of my age? Is it a combination of both? What, what should somebody look at when, when they're thinking about that? I think ultimately, I believe ultimately, when people are thinking about risk, it's going to pertain, it's going to be more important to people that have more of it or that are later on in their investing lifetime. Uh, it's either because they've accumulated a lot um, or because they're, they have a, they're at a point in their life where they just can't afford to let it come back over time if it declines, uh, if, if, it's if it's just unfortunate for them. So my belief, and I think the best way I can explain it is this, I believe personally that if I think a certain investment is a great investment or is in a favorable trend, it's something that I believe my client should own. Do I really want to say, oh, I'm going to give this to my client who's 50. I'm going to put it in their portfolio, but I'm not going to put it in my client who's 70. I believe ultimately the way you manage a successful portfolio and you become successful over time with your investment strategy is you limit what you're investing in and you make sure you pay close attention to it. Now, for both of those people, the differential may be that maybe the person who's 50, maybe it's a 6.6% .6 weighting in their portfolio, whereas the person who's 70, maybe it's 3.3. So the weighting is different, but ultimately, if I think it's a great investment and it's where my clients should have some exposure, I'm not gonna pick and choose which clients are gonna get access to it and which ones are not. I think that all of them should have it. It's just a question of how much. So, you know, now at this point in time, obviously we're, you know, going through COVID. We're hoping that that at this point we're with the vaccinations and everything that, that this is going to help us um, to keep everybody healthy and the economy is going to kind of open back up and get to where we were. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And, and how do you um structure your advice any different during the pandemic versus you know before or maybe even after yeah it's a great question um, actually i don't so again I, I look at the markets very differently than others as a technician as somebody who's in the technical analysis um trend following for lack of a better example you know i, I think all business owners are very familiar with trends they're familiar with sales trends and revenue trends you know expense trends uh, product trends. Trends are, are a natural element to business owners. I'm a little surprised that so few of them seem to seek out professionals that actually do trend following in the markets when they hire someone because it just seems like it would be a, a natural fit. Um, but again, it's a specialty. It's not, you know, 
technical analysis is a specialty. It's, it's not something that everyone's doing. So when I look at COVID, I don't, I just see it as another event, like a, like a, like a world war, for lack of a better example, or, you know, a, a recession, whatever you want to look at it as. To me, what it is, is it is an event that's going to cause investor behavior to change in some way. And the way that that may change is maybe certain industries are going to be more favorable and they're going to receive more capital flowing into them because of the way the market proceeds, which industries are going to be rewarded going forward and which ones are going to be hurt. So as an example, um, if people were investing in, you know, um, cruise lines, as an example, prior, prior to COVID, obviously with COVID hitting and, and all the travel shutting down, you know, did, did, what did COVID do? Well, it just caused capital to say, this is an area that's going to be dead for a while. This is not where we want to be. We're going to sell those investments. We're going to move the money, our capital to where the gains are going to come from. So technology has been a, been a beneficiary as an example. Um, you know, energy has been a, a loser up until recently. So really, if we think about it, what we're looking at as investors is events are going to happen. We don't ever know what the events are going to be, but when the events happen, it's going to cause a herd mentality change. And the smart money, the, 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 the people who really are, are very knowledgeable and are, are seeking to make profits are going to start saying what's going to be penalized and what's going to be rewarded. What do we believe is going to be penalized and what do we believe is going to be rewarded? And, and we just see a capital shift. We just see a capital flight. So you see certain investments that maybe were already in, starting to go into negative trends and maybe those trends continue, continue lower. Um, you see other investments that were maybe consolidating for a long time, and now they're breaking out to the upside. Um, you know, it's, it's a, a great example, I would say, that I'm sure everyone can relate to today is Tesla. Uh, you know, now, let me just say, I, I don't invest in individual stocks with, with what I do. I, I prefer exchange-traded funds. But for purposes of this explanation, let me use Tesla. Uh, everybody that I was following over the past couple of years, just in the headlines and talking points, a lot of people were convinced Tesla was going to go bankrupt. There's no revenues or this, that, and the other. But Tesla was kind of consolidating, right? I mean, it wasn't going down and it wasn't going up. It was just kind of consolidating. And fast forwarded today and all this talk about electric vehicles and you know getting rid of gas-powered um, automobiles, things of that nature, who is in the Catsburg seat? Tesla. So all of a sudden, Tesla is in this phenomenal rising trend right now. Uh, so again, we can justify why a, a, a company, as an example, or a sector should be a losing or winning sector, but what, what we believe doesn't really matter, in my opinion, is what does the market believe? And when Tesla wasn't going down, uh, it was suggesting, in my opinion, that it's probably not going to face bankruptcy, uh, but it became the beneficiary of capital with all of these new electric um, you know, protocols and, and laws and, and things of that nature. Right. What are the, currently, what are some of the challenges that you're facing um, in trying to talk with clients or, or to get new clients, you know, at this point? I believe ultimately, this is a very complicated industry for most people to understand to begin with. And like I said earlier on, one of the biggest challenges that I am trying to help people understand, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, is I want more investors to be aware that wealth management and risk management are not necessarily the same thing. And so when you're in, a, in an environment where we are right now, where the markets have, have gone up for, a, for many years, you know, 10, 11, 12 years, the question becomes, when is that trend going to change? Um, you know, again, the process that I run is based upon studying 95 years worth of history and looking for what are those, what are those little subtle shifts 
that the smart money, for lack of you know, the institutions, the major endowments, not the, the little invested retail public, the big money, when they, when, when they see problems coming, they're having to make changes months or quarters in advance. So ultimately, what I want to look for personally is I want to see that behavior. That's what I'm looking for personally. Um, but unfortunately, I think a lot of cases, people will go and they'll hire a professional. And because they're the professional, they don't ask, well, tell me about your risk management process. You know, they just think, oh, on average, everything will be fine. And, and maybe it will for them if they just hit the cycle at the, at the, at the right time, at the, at the right point in their life. But for people who have amassed a lot of money, there's a lot of money at stake right now. Because again, stock markets have not gone, they don't go up for forever. Um, right. And usually they start turning down well before there's any kind of media discussion of, of, of that they're turning down. So I think ultimately that's the biggest hurdle, getting people to start thinking about, okay, if I'm going to hire an investment professional, what's unique about what they do? Because there's some phenomenal professionals out there that do some ex exceptional work. But if they don't know that not every investor is the same, every investment professional is the same, and, and they have to figure out what's different and what am I looking for, they may just go out and hire a bunch of people who just sell them product and doesn't really ultimately deliver on what they're looking for. What questions have I not asked you that uh, you wish I did ask you? Uh, I would say the one thing that I would just comment on is, you know, I, I'm the founder of the Blue Line Investing Process. And the only reason, or the only thing I would say that I would want you to ask is, you know, what is the Blue Line? And the blue line is just simply a, a moving average. It's a moving average that when I was studying history, I was really surprised how from a behavior, from an investment behavior perspective, we look at the market as just a bunch of people that are all invested and we're trying to figure out what's the herd telling us? What are they doing with their money? Doesn't matter what I think should happen based on news events or it doesn't matter what, what you think should happen. What really we should care about in my opinion is what are the people that have all their money invested in the markets in aggregate? What do they believe? And so what the blue line was for me was early on in my career when, we went, when I went through those two major downturns, I was shocked at how, you know, when we had price corrections in a rising trend, price would come down, hit that blue line and pretty much bounce off of it. It was like a floor. But then once we turned down and broke through it in 2000, and then, then again in late 2007, early 2008, that blue line became a ceiling. And so literally every rally you would have would either be met at the blue line and turned down and go lower if there was a declining trend or basically you would be bouncing off of it as it was rising. So to me, I, I'll be the first to say, I, I don't know why it's that way, it just is. But being able to recognize that really helps us identify potential risk in the market and understand which trend are we dealing with. Because if, if uh, in my book, the example that I give is the, the, the main character in the beginning of the book, she sold her business uh, and ended up hiring a, an investment professional and got all of her money invested fully, I think by, I think it was by like August or November of 2007. And because they were using an investment strategy that could not adapt to changing trends, 18 months later, she woke up and her account was down 42%. Right. So it's, it's those kinds of things that, that, that I want to make sure people don't repeat. Um, and unfortunately, it takes some work on the part of the investor. They have to want to, they, they, have, to, they have to ask themselves, okay, what do I need to know? Or what should I be thinking about and, and asking? And that's what, another reason I wrote the book. I want to show them some historical proof and I want to give them some, some data that they can go ahead and basically use uh, to go ahead and when they're interviewing somebody, hey, think of these things to ask them. You know, be aware of potential conflicts of interest, things of that nature. 
again, going back to your book and, and to Blue Line Investing, uh, if somebody wants to get your book, where can, where can they find it? The good news is they can go to almost any online retailer and they can pick up a copy. Uh, so if their favorite online retailer is Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anyone for that matter, they can just download a copy. They can, they can either buy the, the Kindle version or they can buy a, a physical book. Um, I actually am donating 55% of all author royalties of that book um, to local charities because, again, the, the goal that I have is I want people to read and learn from it. Uh, if that means that they pick up some information that they can talk to their existing professionals about and, and tweak some things and make it better, great. If it means that they're looking to hire somebody for the first time, hopefully there's some information in there that they can go, go ahead and use in terms of that, that process. But almost any online retailer is going to have a, a, a version that they can download or that they can go ahead and purchase and get, get that delivered to them. What about if they want to learn more about uh, Blue Line investing process? Uh, the first thing they can do is they can go to my website. Uh, that's www.blueLineInvesting.com. Um, and or if they want to just talk to me, I'm always happy to go ahead and talk to somebody. I offer a free 30-minute complimentary call or Zoom session. Uh, they can go to my online calendar and they can schedule a time that's convenient for them. And that would be BlueLineInvesting.YouCanBook.Me. And that's YouCanBook is Y-O-U-C-A-N-B-O-O-K. So blueLineInvesting.YouCanBook.Me. Uh, or they can just call me at 833-258-2583. Great. Jeff, I think you've uh, really given the listeners a lot to, lot to think about and definitely um, look at it in a different way and, and kind of thinking outside the traditional box when we think of investment advisors, that's for sure. Well, I hope it was helpful and I appreciate you having me on the show, Gary. Great. So thanks for your time. Uh, today, again, our guest was Jeff Link with an investment advisor with Guardian Wealth Advisors and the founder of the Blue Line Investing Process. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you, Gary. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.